0: Hey, thanks for checking out this week's message. We hope you're blessed by the Word of God. For more information on River of Life, you can check out our website, rolmt.com, or download our app. Just search R-O-L-M-T in your app store. Thanks. I do want to mention just a couple of things to you that the, uh, our Feed the Need went out again this week, and they're just killing it. 419 lunches served to kids this week, and uh, it's only going to get to be more. We know that to be true. Also, I got a text message from Zeb in Star Valley, and they did their day of service today, and they had 24 people from their church show up, and they went, and they cleaned up the streets, and then they went and had lunch together, and he was super excited because he just knows that it's going to spark a passion inside of that church. Amen? Amen so good to see them serving, and it's so good to see you at church. I know that um, summer just began um, for Missoula, um, and so I appreciate you coming out on one of the first sunny days that we've had, um, but I I promise you that that you'll be blessed that you're here. I believe that God's got some amazing stuff in store for us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, um, I was thinking about this a few weeks back as God was beginning to lay this sermon series on my heart. And um, I just want you to know, I, I mean, I've preached for a long time. I've, uh, if you were to get onto my computer right now, I have a file that's, that's kind of an archive of sermons that I've preached, and, um, and there's probably, I think there's about 1,100 of them on there. So i preach. I know, look at your neighbor and go, man, he doesn't look like he's that old. No, I didn't say laugh at that. I said, look at your neighbor and say, man, he does not look like he's that old. Um, all right, that, that didn't land. All right. Um, but I got to be real with you, as I was starting to put together the notes for this week and thinking about where we're going to go in the next few weeks, this is a tough one. And it's going to be tough for me to preach, but it's also going to be tough for us to hear. But I also believe with all my heart that it's super necessary that we need to be in a place where we are understanding the times that we live in. But not only that, the call that God has for his church And I believe that many of us are missing out on the promises of God because we are listening to the lies of the enemy. And so uh, John chapter eight, verse 44 says this, for you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character For he is a liar and the father of lies. So over the next few weeks, we're gonna spend a little bit of time looking at some of the lies that the enemy tells. Lies have infiltrated our lives in ways that we don't even recognize anymore. And so for us to be successful, for us to win, for us to take back ground that the enemy has stolen, we've gotta first identify these lies and then we need to call them out for what they are and then we need to realize the truth Instead of the lie. And so over the next few weeks, that's what we're going to spend some time doing because Satan from the very beginning of human existence used lies to separate men from God. He knows our weaknesses and and he is he knows what we're prone to, and so he will lie and he will deceive and he will get us to start even small, believing little things, and eventually get us to a place where there's a chasm between us and God. And as I was thinking about that this week, I was thinking about, it's amazing to me because Satan even tried this with Jesus. So Jesus goes out, he's he's fasting, and he's spending some time in the wilderness. And in the middle of that, Satan shows up, and we find this story in Matthew chapter 4. It says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scripture says, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city of Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scripture says he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so, that, so you won't hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Verse eight, next the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For scripture says, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. The devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus. Let's pray. God, in the next few moments as we spend time looking at your word, I pray, Father, that you'll show us what we need to see. God, that's the importance of what we're going to look at tonight. It's your word. And Father, I pray, God, that we will understand just how important that actually is. God, I thank you for our our church family that is in in Malawi and in Star Valley and those who are watching in Alaska and those who will watch this message later on in the jail or in the prison. And God, those who are just watching online as they're away for the weekend, God, I pray wherever we are that your word will uh, will be present and we'll hear it. Lord, that you'll move us from where we are to where you need us to be. And we give you all the praise today in Jesus' name, amen. So I want us to look at this scripture for just a few moments because Satan perceived a weakness in Jesus. He knows that he's been fasting. So Satan shows up on the scene and Jesus is hungry, I'm sure. And so Satan shows up and he says, hey, you are the son of God. So you can just speak to one of these rocks. You can turn it into a loaf of bread and boom, everything's good. Now in the grand scheme of things, that wouldn't have been that horrible of a thing. Jesus could have done that. But Jesus also knows that Satan is so good at lying to us that he will take something little that isn't that big of a deal and he'll get us to take our eyes off what we're supposed to be doing. We need to hear that today because that's exactly how he works he'll start small. He's not going to come to you. If you've, if you've been in a position where you've been serving God and you've been doing all the right things, he's not going to come to you and try and tempt you with, Hey, you know what? Why don't you become a drug addict? Right? That's not how he's going to work. Cause that won't work. You won't even be tempted with that. But what he will do is he'll start tempting you with little things like, Hey, you know what? It's sunny outside. So why don't you not go to church this weekend? And you may go, well, is that a sin? No. But it's a small little compromise that then leads to another compromise that can lead to another compromise. And Satan is always in the business of separating. He wants to separate you. He wants to separate you from your church family. He wants to separate you from God. He wants to separate you from God's word. He wants to separate you. And so we see that Satan shows up and he's like, hey, Jesus, you can do this, it's not that big of a deal. And for the next few weeks, we're gonna look at what the enemy will tell us and why we need to unpack those lies so that we can stand firm and not be tricked into them. This is actually a huge topic, and I don't actually know how long this series is going to go. So today, I wanna to start with one of the biggest lies that the enemy has infiltrated in the last few years. And, you know, throughout all of human history, there's always been a friction between the church and the world. And there should be, because the world believes the enemy lies because it doesn't know the truth. But as we look at this encounter with Jesus and Satan, we see that Jesus always responds to Satan's lies with Scripture. And can I just point something out to you? It's Old Testament Scripture. There was no New Testament at the time. So the world has, for the most part, always discounted Scripture but the church would stand on it. And as of late, the church has begun to question Scripture more and more. Things in the book that make us uncomfortable, we make our lives easier by just choosing to either dismiss them or not talk about them. Come on. Now, I don't have time to get into all of this today, but, but as you, if you were to do a deep dive and figure out like even the proof of Scripture, the pr- proof of God's Word, the historical facts that are in this book. Can I tell you, there have been archaeologists who have done their very best to try and disprove this book. They have done digs, and they've done all kinds of things to try and find evidence that they could point to, that they could say, see, this isn't true. One of the most recent ones that took place was they went to where they believed the city of Jericho would have been, and they began to dig, and they, they began to find things, and as they dug down to the layer that they believe would have would have taken place in about... Uh, 1400 BC, during that era where Joshua would have been there, they found that there was the, all the, the ruins from the city, there, all the goods and all of the things were there that a part of the wall had fallen down and that all of the things had burned. Now in that day, if you were to take a city, first of all, it might take long enough that they would have used all of the resources by the time you got into the city. Second of all, if you took a city, you would have taken all their stuff because that's what you did when you took a city. But all their stuff was still there. All of the, all the silos that would have held the grain were still full. And so it points exactly to what the Bible tells us happened, because they were told not to take anything from there. So as we look at this, what I need you to understand is there's so much proof that talks about this being real. Now, we have this thing called progressive Christianity now, and the progressive Christian will come to a place where they don't want to believe the Old Testament. They don't think that it's they, they like it. They'll say, oh, these are good stories. These are nice things. They're, they're things we can learn from. But they don't believe them to be God-breathed. And this is where we begin to see the enemy and his lies. Because if we look at this and we begin to understand that, that, that the church is becoming more and more immune to this and allowing this in, it changes everything. When the Bible describes God as commanding the Israelites to do things like, say, wipe out the Canaanites, I, I had a conversation with a pastor at one point, and they said, how can you believe this to be true when God, in, in Scripture, there's, there's times like that with the Canaanites where God, God sends the children of Israel, and they're to wipe out every living thing, and that just isn't the God that I serve, and so we hear those kinds of things, and, 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 and that's the argument that is being made in the church today. So when we hear somebody say something like that, we need to question, what do you believe about your God? Because if we believe God is all-powerful and all-knowing, and then we think that he has the inability to represent himself to people that he created, or that he would allow them to misrepresent him throughout the rest of history, I think that's actually blasphemous. Because how can you say God is all-powerful, God is all-able, God is everywhere, he is, he is everywhere throughout all of history, but yet you can say, well, these people misrepresented, and now we just need to be able to, to weed through and figure out what's true and what's not true. I read a paper not too long ago that talked about the fact that oftentimes we feel as though God couldn't have done what he did to Canaanites because it's too horrific. And the author of this, of this particular paper, who's a professor at Biola, says that it's because we identify more with the Canaanites than we do with the Israelites. We can often look back at the Old Testament and we can say, how barbaric is that? Even God's law seemed harsh at the time. But when we look at it in the context of history, we need to understand that God was protecting his people. The Israelite law were actually more lenient than the laws of the surrounding communities. When you, hear, when you hear it say an eye for an eye, that seems extremely harsh. But in the communities around, it would have been your life if you took somebody's eye. So context is king. We need to understand that God is saying, listen, I'm going to teach you a more gracious way than the way of the the nations around you. So in the time and the space that the Israelites lived, God was gracious with them. Even with the Canaanites, before their destruction, God had given them opportunity and actually even then allowed them to survive another 400 years in the midst of their disobedience. The paper that I read was by, the author was Clay Jones, and it was entitled, We Don't Hate Sin, So We Don't Understand What Happened to the Canaanites. The Canaanites were a vile people. They had been given opportunity, but they chose to stay in their sin. They chose, and when you say sin, like to us, we're like, yeah, we're all sinners. We all make mistakes. We all have We all have our own baggage. But when I'm talking about sin, I'm talking about even historians, not just the Bible, talk about the Canaanites, and they lived in such debauchery. They let their sexual appetites dictate their culture. They sacrificed their children to their gods in order to gain success. They would burn them alive up to the age of four. homosexuality was rampant bestiality incest idolatry their whole existence was about either making themselves feel good and it was all things that were against what god had told them and even when god warned them and warned them and warned them they still continued to live in this place so as we look at scripture what we need to understand it's easy to read a story and go how could god do that How could God send them in? And because I don't understand it, I'm not going to believe it. And so I'm going to just dismiss those stories. We cannot dismiss this book. It is the rock in which we stand on. It is the truth that doesn't change. It is the thing that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as much as society wants to change from this week to next week, the thing that was acceptable this week is not acceptable next week, that doesn't matter because this thing doesn't change. And it is true. So as we look at this story, we can go, man, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 4 says this, After the Lord your God has done this for you, clear out the Canaanites. Don't say in your hearts, the Lord has given us this land because we are such good people. No, it is because of the wickedness of the other nations that he is pushing them out of your way. It is not because you are so good or have such integrity, that you are about to occupy their land. The Lord your God will drive these nations out ahead of you only because of their wickedness and to fulfill the oath he swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob." So God is, in the, in, the, in the midst of these stories, God is removing wicked nations out of the way for the children of Israel to be able to occupy their land. Now, we can read that story and we can go, why couldn't God just push them out? Why couldn't he, why couldn't he let some of them live? Why couldn't it look different? And here's the thing about that is you and I are not God. And I know some people go, oh, that's a cop-out. You should be able to answer that question. My only answer that I have to that question is, I believe with all my heart that he knew the wickedness of the Canaanites, and if he had allowed them to exist, they would have infiltrated back into the children of Israel. And how many of you know devolving is a lot easier than evolving? When sin is introduced into into a land and people begin to introduce wickedness, it is way easier for people to follow wickedness than it is to stay on track with God. So God is doing that out of his great compassion. You can read the story and you can feel like, man, that is, that is harsh and that's really hard. But the God of the universe sees and when you say, hey, I'm gonna follow you, then you become his child and you become somebody that he's going to take care of. And if, if someone down the street from you has had opportunity and chooses not to follow God and chooses to live in wickedness, guess what? God's grace is available to them still but at the end of the day, there will be justice. There has to be justice. It can't just be grace, 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 all the way to where you just can live however you want, and you still get the rewards of heaven. That isn't what the book says. The book says he paid the price, so you don't have to pay it, but you do have to believe it and start following We see how easily culture can devolve. People in society are heralded as being enlightened when in reality they are weak and they give into their flesh. They have bought the lie that the enemy continues to tell. So in our country, our founding documents refer to God and scripture. The Bible was foundational, the beginning of this land. But the country has devolved because scripture has been removed. God is no longer allowed. He's pushed out of government. He's pushed out of schools. He's pushed out of your workplace. And now in some churches, Scripture is less and less important. So why are we talking about this today as we start this series? Because this is so fundamentally important to our faith. It's so, it's so uh, necessary that we pay attention to these things. When, I, when Logan was younger, my youngest son, he played uh, Little League baseball. And I remember one particular day, he's like, Dad, I want to I go practice my hitting. And it was right when we were, he had just moved to, like, coach pitch. And so so I said, okay, we'll go out, in the, out, out to the park, and and we'll throw. And we kind of did that for a little while, but it became boring, so we decided we'd make a game of it. And so I would pitch to him, and I'd say, every time you get a hit that I don't catch it, then you get a point. And that, but... And, and so, and I said, but every time I catch it, it's a strike and then you got to pitch to me and then I'll hit it. And so we did that for a little while and I, he kept hitting little pop-ups to me. So I'd catch it, catch it, catch it. And then he said, Hey, I think we should change the rules. And I said, okay. So I, he said, you pitch to me and then you can't catch any of them that come with behind this line. And it was like way behind where I was standing. And he said, if it's beyond that line, you can catch it. But if it's on this side, you can't. Well, just so you know, I didn't make another out after that rule change because he basically set me up to have no defense whatsoever. As I look at this, what I want you to understand is when we begin to remove God's word, it's what Jesus used to defend himself from Satan. It's exactly what he used. Jesus didn't, even, didn't have to, but he knew, hey, I'm going to speak truth to him. I'm going to speak the truth of God's word to him, and that will be my defense. So when we as believers begin to say, hey, there's parts of this that if I say it, people will think I'm mean, people will think I'm intolerant, people will think all of these things of me, so I'm just not going to say them, or I'm not going to believe them, or or we'll just gloss over those things. Can I tell you what you're actually doing is you're removing your defense system, If Jesus used God's word as defense, how much more do we need God's word to defend? The enemy has lied and the church has bought it. Why was this such a big lie? Because Jesus showed us how to defend ourselves. And if the enemy can get the church to diminish this, he's got a free for all. He can come at us from every direction. If every time we get a little pushback because we stand on what God's word says and it's not popular right now, then we'll remove more and more and more until pretty soon we don't have a book, but we got a pamphlet. And if we're gonna walk around with a pamphlet, I'm gonna tell you right now, the devil is gonna steamroll you. If all of a sudden the church begins to diminish or remove scripture, we diminish and remove our defense system, for those of you who are taking notes. When we allow ourselves to remove parts of the book, it makes, just to make ourselves or our friends more comfortable, everything begins to unravel. So if I say to you, hey, I'm not sure about this whole flood thing. Like I don't really understand how the whole world could be flooded. I, don't think, I think that was just a cute little story that makes great to put on the nursery walls and all of that stuff. So I think that's fine, but I don't actually really believe that to be true. I don't think that that's, I don't, you know, like during this, during this month right now, you know, you see rainbows everywhere. Rainbow is God's promise that he won't flood the earth again. That's what the rainbow is. And now it's been hijacked. But I'm telling you right now, it was in this book before it ever made it onto a calendar. So if you say, I don't know if I can believe that. I don't know that I believe that story to be true. Can I tell you then, as we begin to look at scripture, and you begin to understand that God has all of these promises for you, how can you be sure that the promise is for you? If I go, I don't know if I believe all of this or I'm gonna remove that and I'm gonna remove this, then all of a sudden you hear somebody get up here and they preach a word that hits you and you go, man, God's got a promise for me. Can I tell you how much harder it is to have faith in that promise when you've already removed other things from this book? If you're gonna remove stuff, then you can go, yeah, I like that part, so I wanna hold on to it. But when all of a sudden you wake up tomorrow and your day doesn't feel like that promise in the moment, You'll start to doubt. Why? Because you started removing stuff from the word. After all, if the God who is promising to step into my life and help me with my problems can't even make sure that the facts are true in his own autobiography, how much power does he actually have? Oh, that was better than that. I'm going to say it again. (laughs) After all, if the God who is promising to step into my life and help me with my problems can't even make sure that the facts are true in his own autobiography, how much power does he actually have? So how do we combat the lies? It's with the book. It's with his word. He says who he is. He says what he'll do. He says how he sees you. He says what he has for you. He says all of those things in this book. So I just want you to understand that you may see it in other places. You may see, you may see pastors start to diminish, start to take away from, not preach about. Can I tell you, we, we are, this, week, this week was an amazing week. With, the, with Roe v. Wade being overturned. And I, I get it. I, I understand some of you politically, whatever, but I'm just telling you right now, he knitted us together in our mother's womb. So that's true. It's in here. That's when he started to see, that, I mean, that's, he saw you. He had plans for you. He has dreams for you. I was talking to Jason Lindsay earlier today, and he said, you know, Jason, it's so amazing, but, but what the church needs to understand is we can pray for that to happen. We can be excited that it happened, but now there's a void, and the church needs to step up. Jason, stand up. This is Jason Lindsay. Jason Lindsay is the director of Child Bridge here in Missoula, and uh, they need more foster families, because we can't just say, yeah, no to abortion, but then just let kids be in the wind. So Jason's going to be afterwards, he didn't know I was doing this, but too bad. Uh, he's going to be standing back kind of by where you got the cookies um, before church, right? You're welcome. Uh so if you just have questions about what that looks like fostering, I'm asking ask you to go talk to him after, after the gathering. See, what we need to understand is the enemy lies, and, li- and, and we've gotten to a place now where, because we're so politically that now we see everything through that, we need to stop it. Come on. We need to see it through this. Because I'm telling you, there are people that, that have red, and there are people that have blue, and there are people that, that love Jesus on both sides, but there's also people that we, we can't just go, oh, they got an R by their name, so they must be a good person. No. Do they, do, they, do they make decisions based through this? Because if they don't, run away. The church has to stand. We have to stand. No more lies. Seth, you can come. I'll be ready for you in a minute. I didn't give you a cue, so here's here's your cue. Come on up. (laughs) Satan wants you to diminish this book. He wants you to start compromising in some of these areas. It's okay for Christians to celebrate Pride Month, he'll tell you. I'm sorry, but pride is a deadly sin. It's it's one of the deadly sins. We got to stand up, and I get it. It's unpopular. It's not what you. It's not what your friends want to hear. I don't want to be seen as being intolerant. All this stuff. I get it. But the reality is, is truth is love. If you love somebody, then you speak truth to them. You do it with love. Don't get me wrong. We got to be loving. I don't want. I don't want a hateful church. I don't want people screaming at each other. I don't want fighting on Instagram and Facebook. It's ridiculous. But you still got to show truth because that is love. If I care about you and I go, hey, I know that the direction you're going is actually going to be bad for you in the long run, then what kind of friend am I if I don't step up and say something? Truth is love. And the problem is Satan's hijacked that too. He's made us feel like if I speak truth, then I'm a bad person. That I'll be perceived in a certain way. He's a liar. He's good at what he does. He's been doing it a long dang time. But it's time for us to point it out. Actually, Satan, that's a lie because I got people in my life that need to hear truth. They need to understand that I'm not some little wussy Christian who's afraid that I'm gonna offend somebody and maybe get removed from social media or canceled in some way. And so I'm gonna, st- I, I, don't wanna, I don't wanna make waves. That's not my job. I'm just gonna be over here and I'll love quietly in the corner. We've done that too long. It's time. Love people enough to tell them the truth. If what you're telling them aligns with the book, you're on a strong foundation. Here's the thing it's important for us as the church to understand this because there's a war. It's not against flesh and blood. The enemy is raging. And he thinks he's winning. But the church has been sitting on the sidelines. And we got to stand up. The part of it is, though, this. If you'll understand the importance of this book and the reality of the truth of it, then all of a sudden, when you hear a promise, you can apply it and believe it. Yeah. Because you haven't whited anything out. No. You take the hard with the good. Come on, come on. I'm, I mean, it's easy to go, man, yeah, this is hard. I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that. No. The hard makes us appreciate the good even more. Yeah. So we've got to take the whole thing. So I think many people in the church today, they they like the idea, they hear a promise and they're like, oh, that's cool. But again, we've already removed so much that when on Monday, we wake up and we don't feel that promise, we then question it. Well, maybe that's not true either. It's time for us to understand it is true. His promises are real. His promises are for you. Let's believe the book. Let's trust the book. It's his word. Jesus trusted it. And it was Old Testament. Today I want to pray. Wasn't sure how we are going to close this out, but I'm going to have the prayer teams come and they can be down here. If you need prayer for anything, They would love the opportunity to pray with you. I really feel like there's some in the room today, and you just need to understand that because the reality of the book, that God does have promises for you. And maybe you struggle because you feel like, yeah, but Jason, I'm a mess, and I've done stupid, and I, I don't deserve anything, and you're right, and I don't either. But that's his grace. It comes in and he says, I love you even though you're a mess. And so those promises are real and we're gonna believe it because we believe the book. We believe his word. So maybe you're just in a, in a season right now where you just could really use a little bit of time going, God, will you just show me the promises that you have for me? Will you show me what you see when you see me? Because he does love you. So if that's you, then while we do these last couple of worship songs, I'm going to just challenge you to come and, and, and just spend a little bit of time with him. And my prayer for you that we're going to end this with is just that you'll hear his voice. See, when, when we ask God to speak, the enemy's really good about trying to speak lies. But if you say, God, I want to hear your voice, he is faithful. And he will speak to you. God, right now, we just thank you so much. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you, God, that even though there's things in here that we don't fully get, we don't understand, we still know they're true. We still know you're good. We still know that even in the stories that are hard for us to wrap our minds around, that we can trust in who our God is and that God one day we will see it we will understand it it will be made clear to us but God we come against the lie of the enemy that says that this book isn't all true he's so good and he wants to separate us from you he's good at being a liar so God I just pray for those who need to trust in your promises again. God, I really sense that there are some in the room who they've maybe even grown up hearing your promises and maybe in seasons have believed them. But if they're honest right now, they're not there. They don't feel as though those things are real for them. So God, I pray that tonight you would wrap your arms around those who would feel that way and reveal yourself to them. And we do come against the lies of the enemy right now. God, we ask for truth to be revealed. God, help us as we walk through this series to see this world, to see ourselves the way that you see us. Help us to be a church that stands on a foundation of truth. That God, we're not, we're going to love people, but we're going to love them with truth. We're not going to fold and lie and pretend so that others will feel better. But we're going to stand on the truth of your word unapologetically and know that, God, it's through your truth that lives are changed, that battles are won, that cities are turned, that land is taken, that, that people's hearts are turned to you. So God, help us to be that people. We give you all the praise today. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand as we sing? The altars are open if you want to just come and spend some time in prayer. Hey, thanks for listening. River of Life is a ministry in East Missoula, Montana. We exist for one purpose, to make Jesus famous by showing his love to the lost, broken, and hurting. For more information, you can check us out online at ROLMT.com. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus today, we'd love to talk to you about what comes next. Shoot us an email at nextstep at ROLMT.com. Thanks.